Let me turn on this. <gasps> I can tell I've been with my children. Is this better? Okay. Okay, so it was kind of hard to kind of get out the door and dress children. And my daughter's going to go paint pottery with her grandmother, which is very fun. And um, my son is going to buy Keens. Anyway, so it's very fun, but I forget. It's just like a Sunday morning. It doesn't matter if mommy needs to go and teach, you know, 70 ladies or whatever we are. Uh, mommy still needs to kind of make sure the baby gets her hair in a bow, that people wear shoes and underwear. <laughs> very important. It, it doesn't matter. It's like, you know, and I was like, dude, I've got to get out of here, everybody. And, uh, and then my favorite blessing of the day, ding dong, two little boys, the Sims boys. Can we weed your yard? I was like, can you weed my yard? Yes. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so then I left. And then it was awesome. So Brian's there with them. Brian is finishing his last week of sabbatical. If you want to pray for him, the doctor. I'm going to start calling him the doctor. And we have learned. And who was I talking to? Sister and I walked in together. This is her fir- first time here. First time here. She's got in her pearl bracelet. So you know, just so you know, for the French holder. Sarah told her. And uh, anyway, and so we've decided there's two different things between a scholar sabbatical, which is what we're calling this, and a sabbatical like where you're getting your toes done, and you got like a little Dr. Pepper with an umbrella, and the guy go, and you're like, more cheesecakes, and you're, <laughs> I mean, there's a total difference in these. And uh, it's like living with a college student again, because he's like, da, 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 you know, and entering data, and they're saying, he and dad, dad has a PhD too, and they're saying words like, um, I mean, I obviously, I mean, I understand some words, like data and survey. That, that's not a big problem. But other words, I'm just like, huh, a lot of stat and stuff. And so he is finishing the week. If you would pray for productivity, he would love it. He would love it if you want to pray for Brian. Um, and we're really excited because in May he will be done and he will be the doctor in the house. And as Ben likes to say, a doctor who can't help anybody. But, <laughs> yeah, isn't that nice? He, guess where he learned that? Grandpa Fisher. Y'all know Grandpa Fisher, those of you who know. Well, two things I want to say that are kind of on the light note. How many people have pearls on today? Very fun. Very fun. If you don't, that's okay. If you think you're a pearl. <laughs> Yay for pearls. This was so fun. I had so many friends. Um, I don't know. It, does anybody get my stuff on Facebook? Do y'all get this? Okay. Some of y'all do because I have an, well, I have an alias on Facebook because... There's a, I, you don't need this story because we have a lot to cover. But anyway, I have, my dad wanted to give me one name. My mom forgot. And she was induced with heavy drugs to have a baby. And so she said, Tristine's dead. So anyway, Trieste is my, my uh, supposed to be my real name. And so anyway, so that's part of my, my Facebook thing. So in part of publicizing our study and just kind of getting it out there, I was like, man, I'm going to put on a Facebook, you know, and stuff. And it, it rocks out because it just, it links itself to our GBC, and so you can click right in and see a picture of all the Bible studies. You can download sermons. It's fantastic. And I have a lot of friends that um, from all over the place who write, and they're like, they just have all these neat comments about it, and it's really cool. So talking about pearls, it, it was really, I think, you know, we always think of Psalm 23 as a psalm of funerals and of death. And so they're like, what do you mean by a pearl? You know, and life and things like that. And I thought, um, I love, I have, to give, I have to give one award, and that is Best Pearls goes to Aaron Cole. That's my friend Aaron's here. And you know why I love those? It's because I want to get some. They call them gumball pearls, you know, and they're so cool. I just absolutely adore them. You know, it's like, are you a diamond girl? Are you a, are you a whatever girl or whatever? I th- I'm a pearl girl, totally, because my husband made me a pearl girl. And these were the night before we got married. These were sitting on, the, um, on my chair at the little, whatever it's called, rehearsal dinner table. I came back. I was like, oh, what's this? And he goes, I don't know. 
And this is 13 years ago, and I opened up. I was like, oh, beautiful, I'm in love, and I love you, and I'm wearing a white dress tomorrow. So I wear those, and then my husband endured, many of you know, if you've gone to this church longer than four or five years, raise your hand. Have you? Brian had four surgeries in a row about how many years ago? I'm looking at Cindy. You know, it's been three years. I, I think it's been three years. And do you know, June 27th, which was what, last week, we started our sixth year as Brian's senior pastor. Amazing. And I'm only 22. Is that like so weird? I mean, I just don't even know what to think about that, you know? So anyway, um, but so I don't know where I was going with that. So anyway, uh, long way of saying it. So these are my pearls, and I'm not a jewelry girl as many, and all my girls know, and my best chums know. I'm, I'm trying to step out, you know, step out. So, uh, but this was probably, I mean, you think about your 10-year anniversary and it's supposed to be this dreamy, you have an idea what you think it's going to be. Well, I had left to go pick up some um, to-go food from, what's the place, on the border, because he lives on the border. And I leave and I come back and we're going to do, actually for us, we have weird favorite things. We're going to watch the finals NCAA. One of our our dates is going to be, we're going to sit on the floor for the final four I can't get in the paint, but I want to sit on the floor. <laughs> I love college basketball. I cheered it. I love it. Brian and I both, it's one of our passions. We just, we, we make bets with certain individuals on staff. Because it's Buck. <laughs> Someone's husband. Actually, we started it, and then we kind of found out Buck liked it too. So we're like, hey, who else can we get in the betting? Okay, well, we can't really bet money, but can we bet something? You know, I was like, yeah. I don't. Cheeseburgers, yeah, or coffee or whatever. So we really, really, really dig the Final Four. So Brian, he has it all queued up, but he's bedridden. He can't move, and, and he's not been able to move for about four weeks. He's lost 16 pounds. At that point, March 16th, he had th- surgery three, two, about to have three. So he, um, uh, so I pick up the food, and I come back, and he's laying there, poor little sweet pie, and, and Mom and Dad have the kids, and I see a box on the bed, and it says James Avery. And I was like, what's this? And he goes, well, I don't know. I thought, that does sound familiar. He goes, I don't know. And so I open it up, and this is what the cards said. I tell him, I said, I'm going to talk about you this morning. Is, um, it said, you know, uh, for 10 years, I've loved you more than anything in the world except for Jesus. And um, in thinking about things most valuable, I decided it was time you had a string of pearls of your own. And that's where I got these. This is $7.95 from Charming Charlie's. <laughs> and I bought it for myself. <laughs> But these are real. And it was so funny. My son last night, Brian was working on stuff. Ben had, he had something to say about what I was going to wear today. And it was really funny. And, and so he goes, Mom, I need you to tell me what's real and what's fake. And I was like, what, are you going to start selling my stuff? You know, whatever. I was like, real, fake, real, fake, real. <laughs> so anyway, probably one of my favorite things about pearls is they're so dreamy. They're so wonderful. Is that there is a gate made of pearl that I will see someday. What the heck does that look like in your imagination? How thick is that? How gorgeous is that? You know the different colors in pearls, yellow, pink, white? What color is it? There's a pearl gate in heaven waiting for me and for you if you know Jesus is your Savior. Why don't you open your Bibles up to Psalm 23 and your, uh, what is this called in English? Bible study packet. Now, we are going to do something a little bit different. One of my favorite things about Bible study is that you can teach it differently every time because the word is different, isn't it, for you? Every day, every week. 
So we are going to talk a little bit about observations. I'm going to watch my clock because this sucker is so full, literally, y'all. When I started studying this, and I start, I usually I, I, I said for about two weeks. I, I was trying to think. I thought, how long do I stay to teach something? I thought, I don't know, you know. But I had two weeks to think about it, and dance camp. I helped a friend with dance camp last week. And I will tell you, it was very funny to sit cross-legged, completely filthy and sweaty, and watch my daughter, you know, and I was sitting there going, the Lord is my shepherd. And I was doing my observations, you know. So um, remind me to tell you, if we have time, the humor of working with uh, three to 11-year-olds at a dance camp. It was very interesting. There were 40 of them. And it was fantastic. It was really good. Got to share the gospel. That was cool. They, um, Psalm 23. So I was looking through this, and I thought, what's the most important thing about Psalm 23 from your Bible study packet? It's one thing only, I think, your observations. So we will use this differently than you perhaps would have anticipated. We're going to hang in 52 and 53, pages 52 and 53, because it's crucial that we know some observations, right? Now, I'm going to not blow past... But zip on by, if you will, pages 54 and 55, because I think what we're going to talk about from what I'll share with you answers those questions. And I'm assuming that you've already hit it. You've already done a little bit of thinking about it. And if you haven't, you can do it tonight. <laughs> right? If you do your interpretation, your, I mean, if you do your observation, it will answer your interpretive questions. Page 56, we'll talk a little bit about list principles. And then I'm going to talk to you about my two, I have two applications uh, for you on page 57. So, we have been blessed in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit by a vow. Let's hit it. Let's do some observations. What do you remember about observations? They're obvious, right? So, table number one. Tell me an observation on Psalm 23, verse 1. Anything you got? He uses Very good. Andrea says he uses shepherd as a metaphor. Andrea is going back to... The teaching of Psalm 19, where we learn fun words like metonymy, anthropomorphism, right? Metaphor. The shepherd is a metaphor. Cindy's table, you, got, you guys got a, an observation for me? Oh, with the Lord as shepherd, there is no want. She is commenting directly from the text. Curly Whirlies, what you got? Oh, hey, pearl sharing. I like that even better. Yeah, that's okay. I'm sharing with one of my friends. Yeah, how would you say? Hey, that's nice. We we're not in want because we can trust God because He has He can take care of the essentials. Ginger says for us. Anybody else? Julie Julie Cook's table. I mean Julie Raymond's table. Provision. Oh, provision. Sarah Kelly says is total. Very good. Mars. Oh, thank you. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm sorry, he's mine. <laughs> he's all yours. Let me give you a couple. Ready? How many verses are there? Six. There are six verses. How many times is the Lord's name, now look at your, your text, is he Lord Adonai or Lord Yahweh? How do you know that? All caps. Way to go, John. Yeah. Y-H-W-H is how it used to be written, right? Because the Jews did not believe they could never write the word Yahweh with the full vowels in it because it would dishonor his name. So he's Y-H-W-H. He is Yahweh. And the word Lord is only in there how many times? How many times is there reference to Yahweh? Count them. Count he? Twelve. Very good. 
There are 12 references. I do a little trick. If you have to do observations on the fly because you got kids, here's a little trick for you. If you want to write, and so, like I wrote, Yahweh, dash, 12X. That means what? 12 times, right? I do observation in like 92 seconds sometimes while I'm stirring pasta. Oh, my gosh, there's 15 verses. Okay, Yahweh, 12 times. How many times are there words like I, me, and my? 15. Thank you. Very good. We mentioned the personalness of the shepherd. I was thinking through the anthropomorphism, but it is metaphor, as Andrea said. The Lord is my shepherd. Physically, he is not a shepherd necessarily, but there's your metaphor. Verse 2, what do you have for your observations in verse 2? Yes, Miss Jane. Jane, she always looks at my notes before we start. That's one of my favorite things, and that was one of the things I was praising God for last night as I went to sleep, is that he is my shepherd, not was, not will be, but he is. Thank you, Jane Battle. Verse 2, what color are the pastures? What are the waters like? Good, yeah, that's great. Perfect, peaceful terms, she says. Uh, he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Are you seeing the me and my, the personalness in this, this text? He guides me in what kind of paths? They're righteous. How about verse 3? Oh, we already said he restores my soul. Literally in Hebrew, my nefesh, which is uh, when God breathed into Adam. It's one of the coolest things. The word changes literally from uh, Hebrew tense, from, from almost like a dead, lifeless thing into something completely alive. And it literally is the life breath, the God breath, nephesh, N-E-P-H-E-S-H, if you care. (laughs) Um, He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. There are definite paths. There are definite ways that he travels for his name's sake. Draw a big black line underneath that for me. This may not be according to all commentaries, but for me personally, this is where the psalm divides itself. I think one through three is one way and one perspective, one thing it's trying to teach, one thing it's trying to share physically about who the shepherd is, what David is trying to express and explain. Verses 4 through 6 is different. So what we're going to do is we're going to do the first three. This is maybe, you've got to write this down, and feel free to, actually, you can just pass it around if you want to. Uh, well, let me look at the title real quick. Please. <laughs> A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. I think you have these in front of you. Let me explain your... Can you tell that I was a television news major who worked at a newspaper, a radio, TV station, three times for free? Extra, extra. Isn't that original? Cute, huh? I knew y'all would love it. So um, these are, if you want to do them, groovy. I don't know how many times whenever I've taught a Bible study, especially if I have a lot of subpoints, I see a lot of crowns of heads, right? Because we are women. What do we love to do? Take notes perfectly. What was that last word, teacher? You know what I mean? And I don't want you guys to be so focused and intense about keeping up with the structure of what I'm sharing as much as I want you to bask in his word. I want you to experience him today. So these are your extra little questions that we're going to talk about, or I call it a scratch pad. But I I don't know why to myself, but I did laugh when it says extra, extra. I'm so sure. I couldn't think of a better title. The Philip Keller book is the very best book I've ever read on um, Psalm 23. How do we know Psalm 23 culturally? It's the funeral psalm. Um, it is the psalm you share because you don't know any other books of the Bible. I, I never did. I knew uh, Philippians 4.13 and I knew Psalm 23. 
And so we tend to kind of, uh, I don't want to say denigrate it, but we kind of, you know, kind of lower it in importance. Oh, Psalm 23, you know, you know, kind of thing, right? So after examining this through the eyes of a shepherd and as a sheep, this sucker has popped open with so much color and vividness, my mind cannot almost take it in. The gentleman who wrote the book, Philip Keller, in 1970, it's published by Zondervan. My mother-in-law, for y'all, did a little search for me. Because I said, Mom, I don't have time. Can you do it for me? And she goes, you got it. She, I love my mother-in-law. She says, what I want to do is serve you and serve those ladies. She just rocks. $12. Easy peasy. That's, what, three Cokes? Four, three star, two Starbucks? Something like that. Um, it's written in 1970. I was a year old when it was written. Philip Keller's Look at the Psalms. He was a shepherd who actually owned land. He owned two different sheep ranches. And then he became a pastor. So in each chapter, it's evenly divided into his life as a shepherd, the physicality involved, and the spiritual lessons or the parallels that he sees scripturally. So the Philip Keller book is fantastic. My ob- when I look at this text, Jane nailed me already. Number one, the Lord is my shepherd. The Yahweh, the creator, the maker, is my shepherd. Present tense. Not past not future, but present tense. He is Yahweh in this context. He's not Adonai yet. David speaks of the Lord as Adonai many times. This is a Davidic psalm because David wrote it. Now, the fun thing is, imagine a little boy who began his entire life as a shepherd. All he knew was how to tend sheep. Dirty, nasty stuff. But the kid could work. But that was his life. That's what he knew. If somebody said to you, who, who are you? Who, you know, who are you? What are you? What are you good at? For some ladies here, it might be, oh, I'm, I'm a gourmet cook. Well, great. I'm a librarian. I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an attorney. I'm a tax accountant. There's a specialty. What is David's specialty? Not being a king yet. Being a shepherd. It is what he knows. It is in his blood. I love the picture of Samuel coming to anoint him with oil. And he says, is this all you got, Jesse? And he goes, well, there's one more. But he's just the shepherd boy. He's just a shepherd. And yet the time alone with the Lord, and as he is literally right now, currently on the run from Saul, the greatest compliment he can give Yahweh is the metaphoric term, the Lord is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. Look at your uh, extra, extra. See that? The Lord is my shepherd. What does that imply? I absolutely adore this. And you know, it's always good if you have the answers to your questions with you. Yes, there it is. Well, I think of the Lord as my shepherd. For me, a person, I think of it as a working relationship. Do you have a working relationship in your life? Yes. Your spouse, your children, maybe your mom and dad, a roommate, whatever. Constantly talking, praying, confessing, forgiving. Constantly talking, praying, confessing, loving, forgiving. A working relationship in the present tense, as Jane said. The Lord is my shepherd, and my favorite thing when I think about this is that he created me to be the object of his affection. The object of his affection. And so based on that, I have two questions for you. And these questions so rock out that this is one of those deals that you can hear me say this this morning, but you will think about it while you do the dishes. And my prayer for you is that you think about it tonight and that you're honest with yourself and that tomorrow you will think about it and the next day. Are you ready? Number one on your extra extra do I really recognize his right to me? Whoo, that's pretty tough. Do I really recognize his right to me? And this one made me laugh. I don't know why. I just, I love the way this question in my mind was phrased. 
do I, number two, do I find freedom and complete fulfillment in this arrangement? Or am I a hard-headed sheep? (laughs) Butting at the shepherd and the other sheep being a problem. (laughs) Do I recognize that I am owned? And am I cool with that? Number one, do I really recognize this right to me? Number two, do I find freedom and complete fulfillment in this arrangement? I wanted to describe to you his thing. It's on page 29 of this book, which you don't care about that. But I love this because you think about it. Think about, we're about to move into the description of what, you know, more description of shepherd. So if there's parallelism in the Bible, and he, Jesus Christ called himself, what kind of a shepherd? I am the good. That implies there is a bad. Hmm, very interesting. This description of the bad shepherd just broke my heart, especially as a person with a spiritual gift of evangelism. This is a man who was right next door to him. The tenant sheepman on the farm next to my first ranch was the most indifferent manager I'd ever met. He was not concerned about the condition of his sheep. His land was neglected. He gave little or no time to his flock, letting them pretty well forage for themselves as best as they could, both summer and winter. They fell prey to dogs, cougars, and wrestlers. Every year, these poor creatures were forced to gnaw away at bare brown fields and impoverished pastures. Every winter, there was a shortage of nourishing hay and wholesome grain to feed the hungry ewes. Typical on a sheep farm, what do you have more of, ewes or rams? Ewes, right. Shelter to safeguard and protect the suffering sheep from storms and blizzards was scanty and inadequate. And this just kills me. They had only polluted, muddy water to drink. There had been a lack of salt and other trace minerals needed to offset their sickly pastures. They were thin, weak, and diseased. In my mind's eye, I can still see them standing at the fence, huddling sadly in little knots, staring wistfully through the wires of the rich pastures on my side. To all their distress, the heartless, selfish owner seemed callous and indifferent. He simply did not care. What if his sheep did want green grass, fresh water, shade, safety, shelter from storms? What if they did want relief? from wounds, bruises, disease, and parasites. He ignored their needs. He couldn't care less. They were only fit for the slaughterhouse. Tell me who that is. What's, yeah, Lindsay's got it. That is a picture of Satan. That is a picture of the enemy. Does he give, as Brian and I used to say, we don't in the presence of children, but a rat's tail about you? No. I remember the day one of my very best friends said, oh, she called me and said to me, I said, hey, how are you doing, sweetie? She goes, great. Did you know that Satan's desire for me is to seek to kill and destroy? And I go, hey, yeah, KK, I do. <laughs> I read that Bible verse too. Uh, amazing. Amazing. The physical picture of these sickly, poor little sheep starving to death, his lack of care, his indifference compared to the glory of a good shepherd. And man, when you read this book, I had no idea how much work it was to be a good shepherd, much less a shepherd who makes a profit, but to care about these sheep. So number one and two, you've heard your, your, heard your little extra extras. Do I really recognize his right to me? Do I find freedom and complete fulfillment in this arrangement? We've juxtaposed it with the bad owner who is the enemy, Satan, the enemy of our souls, who does exist, even though 64% of Americans say that he does not. And 55% of them are evangelicals. I believe the Bible is literal. I believe every word of it is true. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. 
Because as I told a little group of dancers last week, John 14, 6 still is true. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. So I either call him the Lord, I call him a liar, I call him a lunatic. There are only three choices. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When I read that, I asked myself, why? (laughs) Why shall I not want? And I thought, because I choose by faith to believe that he is the good shepherd. In my mind, he's the owner who delights in his flock. I am well fed, I am safe, and I am flourishing in his care. Is that not true? When you're walking with the Lord, and one of my favorite things about this, we spend so much time looking for ourselves in the text, don't we? We go, oh, I'm having a, a bad day. I've had 15 stoplights and bad cup of coffee at McDonald's, which for the fishers is a big deal. It's too thin. You know, and so you're reading all this. Where am I? I need a piece of encouragement, Lord. Well, remember, that's not how we're going to study the word. We're going to study it textually. So if you look at this, pull yourself away from it, and remember again, the Lord is my shepherd. It's not just that you don't want. It's that it gives his name um, credit, uh, weightiness, glory. It's not just that he takes care of you because you're the object of his desire, which is true, as I've told you. He's the object of his affection. He loves you to pieces. He died for you on a cross. He intercedes for you at this very, very moment. But he does all things. Why? For his name's sake. He says, I'm the good shepherd. If he's not a good shepherd in my life, then it looks like he lies, doesn't it, to the world? His reputation is on the line. That's something to think about, isn't it? His reputation as a good shepherd is on the line. The world is looking in and going, let's see how the Christian girl walks with the Lord when she's under suffering. Let's see how the Christian girl handles her marriage. Let's see how the Christian girl uh, parents her children and forgives her friend. Or deals with bad, uh, perhaps a bad family history. Painful background. Let's see how the Christian girl does it. What difference does Jesus make? And Jesus says, if you will trust me that I am the good shepherd and obey me in the way that we talk about, my reputation is honored. I like being a good billboard for Jesus, don't you? Your second verse, you ready? You're going to laugh at probably my favorite thing in this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Do you know my favorite word in that whole line? Nope. That's what Julie Coke has. Uh, Raymond, sorry, has on green. I love green. Just everyone in the room, look at Julie right now. She's the only person with green on. I want you to see the restfulness of this color. I'm serious. I let, they say, I mean, we've all read those crazy home and garden magazines that say that green is the most soothing color to look at. Is it not? Why? It symbolizes growth. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. And it's not just, he could, David could have said, he makes me lie down in pastures. Right? Why is he descript? That's an interpretive question. I'm going to tell you. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Do you know why? The shepherd goes ahead pre-season to the tableland where he is taking his sheep. There are two things you need to understand as you think about a sheep in the Middle East. And since I've been there, I can picture it. Unbelievable. Literally, this psalm is a Davidic interpretation as he runs from Saul and is going to the stronghold. So he's going up, isn't he? When he shepherds his sheep, he takes them up the mountain. This is a journey. That's going to help you when we hit the valley of the shadow of death. It's a journey. The green pastures, 
he went ahead pre-season. Before he takes the sheep on the journey, he goes pre-season. He seeds, he irrigates, he clears the land, he cultivates the grass. He plants it himself. Y'all, grass don't grow in Israel, I tell you. Unless you're near the Sea of Galilee, unless you do the work, it's not there. Sheep flourish in arid land, however you want to say. It's rocky. It's, it's nasty. I mean, it's hard work. Can you imagine trying to plant grass in the Middle East or in these different places? These parts of our country, they're sheeped out, as they say, where the sheep have eaten everything. The land is totally destroyed. It is a boatload of work, and the shepherd has gone ahead and done that. That's why David makes that point. He doesn't just say, he makes me lie down in pastures, dirty, yucky, dusty grass. They are green. Look at your extra, extra. So it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Four things that have to be true for sheep to lie down. This is one of my favorite things. I emailed this to a couple of friends, I think. Uh, one is, and you will want to write this down, so I'll see the crown of your head right now. One is that they must be free of all fear. Uh-oh. Don't think about yourself for a minute. They must be free of all fear. The second thing is they have to be free of all what I call social friction <laughs> within the flock, which is really funny considering the fact that it's a big group of females. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> that sheep, she's, that girl, she thinks she's telling me what to do. She ain't nothing. I mean, it's so funny to me. I just thought that is the hilarious part. Free of all fear, free of social friction from within the flock, free of flies and parasites. That's going to come up later. Free from flies and parasites and free from hunger. Let me say these one more time. Four things that must be true for the sheep to lie down. One, free of all fear. Two, free of social friction from within the flock. Three, free from flies and pests, parasites. Four, free from hunger. What is the New Testament antithesis to being fearful? Tell me one verse. Boom. What's 2 Timothy 1.7? Ooh, good girl. First, she's whipping up the first John. Perfect love drives out fear. That's one of my very favorite verses. That's awesome. And 2 Timothy 1.7? One of love. What? Beautiful. Thank you. He has not given us a spirit of fear. If you are fearful, where is that from? Your flesh. Because maybe you've conditioned yourself to think that way, which we'll talk about. It's a rut that you think that way, or the enemy is attacking you. If you don't know why you're fearful, speak the name of Jesus Christ out loud. Guess what happens? Freedom from fear. These four things have to be true of sheep. We explained why the grass is green. Page 47 was beautiful. Wherever the book is, you'll love it. How he clears the heart. The author juxtaposes how uh, David and the shepherd would clear the land, you know, to, to make it a tableland, which are you seeing where I'm, think about the future of Psalm 23, the tableland, you're getting a lot of hints of where we're going in the latter half of it, is that he delights to see me contented, quiet, and at rest. And in the same way he le- makes me lie down in green pastures, and in the same way that that shepherd had to clear out all those nasty rocks, And thorny bushes, he has to do that in my heart, doesn't he? For me to be free of fear, free of strife with others, free from perhaps physical trial, and free from hunger. 
spiritual hunger, right? He leads me beside choppy waters. What does he say? He leads me beside what? Still waters. I love this, and not because I went to school at OSU. (laughs) Did anybody get that joke? Thank you, Julie. Stillwater, Oklahoma. That's a whole other story. He leads me beside Stillwater. Tell me, what is the, um, the tense of the word? Is it he led, will lead, or leads? Back on what Jane said, we're still in the present tense, aren't we? He is my shepherd. Future tense, I shall not want. Present tense, he makes me lie down right now. Next one, he leads me beside still water. Begin to look for things like that as you do your observations, what kind of tense it is. My favorite thing about he leads me beside still waters is there's one thing that refreshes me besides a cup of coffee and time with Brian, and it is water. I love waterfalls. I love oceans. I love ponds. I love fountains. Nothing refreshes me like looking at water and thinking of his provision for me. I mean, even thinking about it right now just makes me feel refreshed. In any way, shape, or form. I mean, the beauty of a fountain. When I was in En Gedi in Israel, to see that rock come out, the water coming out of that rock. You know, we see your kids in the pool, and the glory is like, what is that about water? Of course, we're made up of water, and I understand the medical, you know, well, it's because you're 75. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the point is, God knew what would refresh us, yet again showing himself as a good shepherd. I'm going to give you a nice place to lay down, girl. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to refresh you with good, clean, pristine water. What do you know about Jeremiah 2.13? Oh, a question? Please, Shan. Um, Shan and Martin. I just have a little. Whoever is the subject, mm-hmm. is that's where the emphasis is. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I like that. He did it instead of just, I received it. (gasps) Another way to view the word about the Lord and not ourselves. (laughs) Thank you. She knows I'm not a uh, language person. I mean, like, I like to learn how to speak language, like, like street level. Like, I want to order a cup of coffee and bet it's going to be bad grammar, you know. (laughs) Shannon mentioned it's, who is the object? Juxtapose, he leads me beside still waters with Jeremiah 2.13. What do you know about Jeremiah 2.13? Yeah, not only living waters, and Israel is drinking from what? Yes, they rejected the living waters. They're drinking out of what kind of cisterns? Broken. It's a purse with holes in it. It's got nothing. The water is stagnant. It is nasty. It is dirty. And I don't know about you. I can look at stagnant dirty water, but I can't not smell it. If I walk by, it just, you know, having just turned your stomach. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh. I mean, it's, it's so the opposite of who Jesus says he is, the living water bubbling up. The beauty of God is so different than what the enemy can deliver. The author really took the latter half of that book and talked about guarding against casual sin. And I thought that was an interesting twist and turn on this. When I was thinking about he leads me beside still waters, I was thinking of me being refreshed in still waters and pristine waters. And I love water. I like that verse. (laughs) But then when I thought about it seriously and I compared it with Jeremiah 2.13, the pain of God's heart at watching his people drink that nasty, stagnant, amoeba-filled, stinky water. And how he, fe- how he feels when he sees us do it. Not me. <laughs> Guard against casual sin. And I'm going to give you two ways to do it. Are you ready? 
Read Romans 8 and believe it. Read Romans 8 and believe it. And read Galatians 5 and obey it. (laughs) That's good. Read Romans 8, believe it. Galatians 5 and obey it. Guard against casual sin. The water does not get muddy overnight. The parasites don't get there like that. It doesn't happen like this. It's because of a series of bad rains. Nobody's cleaning the water. Think about your swimming pool. Every kid in this, every one of us in this room, we were a kid, what do we ask our parents? Can I have a pool? And what'd your parents say? Are you going to clean it? Those hand, those go hand in hand, right? And we all say, yeah, I'll clean it. I promise. You know, they get skanky and dirty and dusty and they're like, see there? Pop the cork. My dad was <laughs> like, that was it. That was it. Now think as a shepherd, twist all this back into his, his view, David's perspective as a shepherd. He wants his sheep to have clean, yummy water. What kind of water you want your baby drinking? Clean, fresh water. Man, I'm all about it. I don't even let my kids drink tap water, y'all. <laughs> I'm all about it. We're going to talk about one more thing, and then we're going to do a table talk. Yay! Table talk slash certain kind of a break. Get ready for this. This is unreal. What's in front of you? Read me your next line. Can you see the meatiness of this thing? It's full. What's your next line? Literally, restores in Hebrew. There are 14 different words that mean restore. Guess what the number one one is? Return. Woo. Not what I thought. I thought restore was like, "Mm, my blood sugar's low. Give me a chocolate bar. You know? (laughs) Made me feel better about myself. Nope means return in the same way that Isaiah all through all 66 chapters says return 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 you crazy sheep come back to me I'm all you ever need now this was probably I I shared this with Brian yesterday and we both found this app I I don't know why we I I don't know why I've invented this word absolutely and it's like not even a word but absolutely interesting is anybody here familiar with sheeping or you know having sheep, sheep ranches, shepherd, any of that stuff? There is a uh, a term called cast sheep. Now I'm going to beg you not to see yourself in there, but I know you can't help yourself. <laughs> cast sheep are those sheep who have fallen over. Then they panic, and then what their little feet do? You've seen it; it's pathetic. Exactly, she's going like this. Yeah, right. Now is that helping her? This is helping. This is helping. It will get me up. She weighs between 75 and 100 pounds. She's probably pregnant with one or two. She's laying sideways. All of gravity, which is a law, not a theory, (laughs) is holding her down, and she is pawing quickly. Now, she will do this for up to 12 hours, and then she will die. Why? She's exhausted, and what do you know? What else? Physically, she cannot get up. Think about anatomically how a sheep is built. She cannot get up. She will die. That is the end of her, end of her babies, end of everything. And the more she digs, what happens? The deeper she goes. This is called a cast sheep, C-A-S-T, if you want to know it. Cast sheep, it cannot get up. And if I can have the book one more time, I don't know who has it. Oh, thank you. Shishi. (laughs) Shishi, pangyo. They, um, is when he talks about cast sheep, I was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, my son weighs 55 pounds, I think, something like that. My daughter, I can't remember. But the point is, containing them is one thing. I cannot imagine doing this with a sheep that is pregnant. 
She's lying on her side. She's dig- dug herself into a hole. She's frantic. Remember the nature of a sh- these sheep? They, there's a, I, I'm convinced. I was thinking about this last night. There's a reason why God doesn't say, you know, my people, they're like a bunch of cats. <laughs> no, my people like frogs, you know, whatever. It's like he purposely picked the word sheep. <laughs> and I was going through, I mean, when you go through the Old Testament, if you want to take the challenge, feel free. If you've got nothing to do sometime or... Well, I don't know when that would be, but, you know, right? how many times you see the word sheep all through Scripture? They're not the most intelligent animals. (laughs) They get very worked up. They live in a mob mentality. What's everybody else doing right now? Okay, are we all wearing blue shirts? Then I don't want to be any different. I'm wearing a blue shirt. Okay, are you nervous, Heather? Okay, I'm feeling your nervousness, so I'm going to be nervous too. Uh, where are we going? Where are we going? You know, uh, oh, we're going over here. Okay, who where's the shepherd? I don't know. I mean, you can just picture. It's not an insult to us, but I think God just knows our nature. We are but dust, as Isaiah says, right? Maybe that's why David pours on the affection. You know, it's like, y'all are boneheads, but I love you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I do see the, the sheepness in myself. I don't know about you. And it's so funny that when children are babies, that we give them as one of their most favorite stuffed animal, here's a sheep, a lamb. It's a fool. (laughs) (laughs) But we're glad you're here, you know. (laughs) Listen to this description of how he treats the cast you. I loved it, loved it. And I read it twice to myself and I read it to Brian. As soon as I reached, oh, he says, within me, there's a mingled sense of fear and joy. Fear it might be too late. Joy if it was found at all. As soon as I reached the cast to you, my very first impulse was to pick it up. Tenderly, I would roll the sheep over on its side. He's a big dude. If she had been down for a long time, I would have to lift her onto her feet. Then straddling the sheep with my legs, I would hold her erect, rubbing her limbs to restore the circulation in her legs. Have you ever done that with an elderly friend? who was having trouble with circulation. I did it with my sister when she was dying, and she was on dialysis, and she, she was having her blood pumped through, and I would have to rub her very vigorously, trying to get circulation accomplished. It, it, it's not a five-minute job, right? It, it takes a long time. Hold her erect, rubbing her limbs to restore the circulation to her legs. This often took quite a long time. When the sheep started to walk again, she often just stumbled, staggered, and collapsed in a heap once more. All the time I worked on the cast sheep, I would talk to it... Gently. When are you going to learn to stand on your own feet? I'm so glad I found you in time, you rascal. And so the conversation would go, always couched in language that combined tenderness and rebuke, compassion and correction. Little by little, the sheep would regain its equilibrium. It would start to walk steadily and surely. And by and by, it would dash away to rejoin the others, set free from its fears, its frustrations, given another chance to live a little longer. That totally changes your perspective. Totally changes your perspective. Frantic fear replaced by peace. The shepherd personally rubbing her little legs and yet telling her, what'd you do? How'd you fall down? Loving her. And she just runs away, probably forgetting to say thank you in sheep. I don't know how that worked. I absolutely love this. Now, the other thing is, one of the things, if the shepherd notices the, the fleece is too thick, the, the wool is too thick, it gets filthy, it gets filled with bugs and parasites, it's nasty, it's disgusting. Anybody ever seen nasty gross sheep like that? Yeah. You know how thick that thing is? It's like this. So one of the reasons a cast sheep can become a cast sheep is that she hasn't been sheared in a long time. Again, that would be a bad tenant owner, wouldn't it? 
the good shepherd keeps them neat and clean. Or if a sheep goes in places she shouldn't be. She's going to get parasites, poisonous grasses, things like this. So what's it going to take to clean her up? He's got a shear. Now you want to shear that 100-pound sheep between your legs? (laughs) Yeah. And again, the picture of bouncing away after they've been just completely set free. I love this. I love this. He restores my soul. How shearing a sheep and saving its life is comparable to restoring my soul, I'm still pondering for myself. Maybe you can come up with the correlation on your own. But what a relief to be rid of it all, and what a joy to be have your life saved. I wrote down, you guys, about the word return. You'll notice he restores my soul. Your last verse before we take our break is, he guides me in the paths of righteousness. And I want you to underline in the brightest color you have, why does he do this? To make you happy. In the Hebrew, right? (laughs) To give your life happiness, joy, a cool car, a great husband, cute kids, skinny body, and nice clothes. Is that in your Hebrew text? I don't have that in mind. <laughs> For his name's sake, literally his glory, Shekinah in the Old Testament, but also weighty. I love when Tony Evans describes why women wear makeup. Have you heard this? It's because we're going to fix our glory, you know? And, so we, and then we talk about each other's glory, you know? It's put, and he calls it putting makeup on God, making God look good. I love that. I love that. For his name's sake. And now this is, this is what I want you, I'm, I'm going to show this one last thing with you, and then we're going to take a break. And this is your table talk. And I'm actually giving you five whole minutes. Wow. Maybe I'll live a little bit longer. But I think it's significant enough that you need time to digest. <laughs> I don't use a ruminate because we're talking about sheep, but, you know. Uh, Brian and I both really, really like this. And I feel like the Lord dropped this in my head. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, for you, are you living your life in ruts of old lies or are you living in routes of righteousness? Isn't that fun of the Lord? Ruts. What do I mean by ruts? Path in this context is uh, ruts, and it can be translated into routes. Ruts refers to those places that were sheeped to death that I was telling you about, nasty, rocky, dusty, dirty Prickly poison plant infested land. Those, and imagine the sheep following the same thing every day. Because remember, they follow. Whatever you do, I do. I'm going to copy because I can't think for myself. Right? If they stray, they're making the same ruts. And, and the shepherd's whole job is leadership. Constant leadership. Constant. No, everybody, let's go this way. I don't know how you feel as a parent of children, but I have two young kids. And I say the same thing 47 times a day, y'all. And, Mommy, where are my pants? Where are they always? And I was like, where's toilet paper? Where is it always? You know, and I can hear, and in, in, my, in that middle of the second, I have to ask the Lord, oh, help me, Lord. <laughs> where are my toothbrush? <laughs> the bathroom. You know, and I'm like, oh, my heavens, y'all. <laughs> where the gold pantry? Uh, where were they yesterday? I don't say it, but I'm thinking it, you know. <laughs> Now, sheep are the same way as your kids. (laughs) Yeah, really, it's true. Yeah, really true. Ruts. Now, think in your mind, one of the greatest books I've ever, uh, two greatest books I've ever read are by Neil T. Anderson. Neil Anderson. Y'all ever read that? Talks about lies, not believing truth. One of the greatest things you can do as you walk with the Lord that God will require of you is that you think truthfully and that you think 
biblically. If you choose not to do so, you will be unhappy. You will not flourish. You will not grow. Does that make sense? Now, the trick is this. I read about this. This is my favorite things. You have two choices. You have A and you have B. A is unbiblical thinking about who I am, what I look like, where my worth is, my current situations, Jesus' presence, and I begin a rut. Now, if I keep going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, that's a rut. Now, the challenge for me is to look at this text and say, how do I reestablish truthful, biblical, righteous thinking, my route of righteousness? I have thought that lie, and I have believed that lie, but in the name of Jesus, I'm not going to do it again. Lord, reshape my mind. I want to walk in the path of righteousness, a new route this way, a new route. Ruts or routes. And so for your table talk question, what I'd love for you to do is literally to ask yourself, you can choose, you can choose. Pick one, either this one. How does he make me, as Shannon was talking about, the active verb, how does he make me lie down, lead me, restore or guide me? Or you can choose this one, which I bet I know what you're going to choose. How can I carve new routes of growth? How can I carve new routes of growth and not the same old ruts that lead me nowhere? How do I carve new routes of growth and not keep living in these ruts that lead me nowhere? How do I do this? How do you carve? If you would, let's take five minutes. You'll look at the clock. It says 1045. Let's take for sure five minutes. Yeah, let's do just five. Restaurant break, coffee break. Don't do French vanilla. You're going to see them again. You've heard it three times. But think of a proactive way amongst your group of how do I get out of these ruts and start living in new routes of righteousness that lead to the glory for his name's sake. Okay, let me pray for you real fast. Father, please give my friends wisdom. Give them some clear ideas. I pray that you would just give our heart peace. You would speak through each woman to each woman. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take five minutes. How's everybody? Ready? Can you believe it's been like seven minutes of the, can you see me? I feel like we're with, it's like with my kids. It's like with my kids when they say, one more minute in the bath, one more minute in the bath. And I look up, I go, wow, it's already been one more minute in the bath. Well, believe it or not, that was seven minutes. Can you believe it? We got a little done, barely. And, and we, she asked a great question. She said, what exactly do you mean when you say ruts versus rats? And so the illustration I can think of for myself personally was um, that I struggled for about 10 years with a spirit of fear. I was 24, and for me, it really was, I'm convinced, a spiritual issue, like almost a spiritual warfare issue. Uh, I was sitting on a plane on a tarmac, and I was coming home from uh, my grandfather's funeral, sitting on the tarmac, and literally, out of nowhere, I sensed a weird presence on the airplane. And it was just like, what is that? And it was cold. And it was weird, and it was odd, and I was like, what is that? Well, all of a sudden, I started struggling with being fearful about different things. And I would try to fight against it, and then I would let it have its way. Okay, so if I can back our illustration. Here's the fear I'm faced with. No, 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 no. That's not good, that's not good, that's not good. Yeah, you know, that really is true about the Lord. But what if this, you know? And so I walked a good 10 feet deep rut that Brian encouraged me to think truthfully. And I was, I was saying at our table, I was, Val and I were talking, we've talked about many times, 
is that uh, for us, the way that we move out of any kind of, remember last week or two weeks ago or last week, whatever it was, two weeks, hidden fault, presumptuous sin. Remember hidden fault? It's hidden. You don't know about it yet. You need the Lord to reveal it. Presumptuous sin, Hebrew high-handed sin. I know it's wrong. I'm doing it anyway. When you're in these situations and you don't know what to do, I'm convinced speaking the word of God is the way to go. So I say, perfect love casts out fear. He who fears is not perfected in love. Go back to my, I return. <clears throat> or for me, and my kids know this verse, 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given me a spirit of fear, and I will speak also the name of Jesus. Now, I may not be taking a humongous step in my route of righteousness, but at least I returned and got back to the beginning point to start over. And I saw it. I recognized the sin. I recognized the frustration. I recognized the issue. Wait a minute. That's a fearful spirit. It's sinful. It's wrong. Bust it. You know, or pride. Nobody recognizes all my efforts today. Wait a minute. Return. I'm here for his name's sake, not Tristy's sake. Glory to Tristy, wrong. Glory to Jesus, right, you know. My kids are making me crazy. I'm tired of them. I'd like to go to Cancun tomorrow. Wait a minute. I prayed for them for seven years and two, three miscarriages and four years of infertility. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I'm thankful for these children that God gave me. You know, you see the point. You see the way you can work it, your ruts versus your routes. We can talk further about this if you'd like to. Let me give you two verses for your routes, your power. I love this phrase that I've been hearing people say for a few months. I think it's fun. Like, it made me laugh yesterday. My cell phone turned itself off, and it says, powering down. I was like, who made that up? Who said powering was like a, well, Shannon, what's the word? Powering? Like, like, my phone said powering down. Is that a gerund? It's a verb, right? Yeah, okay. See, I know. Television news. How you doing? <laughs> I read for TV. Third grade audience. So, so I love the phrase power up, power up, power up. The only thing that's going to power you up is the word of God and believing truth. You get you girls around you that believe truth, speak it, pray it, and obey it. That's how you're going to win. That's how you're going to establish new routes. That's how God will show you those hidden faults and presumptuous sins. And that's how you're going to reestablish yourself in thinking in a route of righteousness. And he will lead you in the path of righteousness for... And so as I stand in front of you 10 years later and I tell you, guess who's been free from fear for two years? Oh, yeah, baby. For his name's sake. It wasn't me. He did it. Why? Because I said his word over and over and over, and over, and over. And some of my good friends in this room prayed against those, those spirit of fears. And I know when it comes. I know how to fight. I know how to use the sword now. Two verses. Mark eight thirty four. Take up your cross and follow. Always a good one. But my favorite. John ten ten. I came that they might have life and have it mediocrely. Halfway. Pay the bills. Die. Be buried in a wooden box. Is that what it says? <laughs> No, where are we going? No. No, 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 no. Abundantly. Why? For his name's sake. His name's sake. Now get ready to transition. You've already looked through your table talk. I noticed very few people went to the bathroom, by the way. On your table talk, when you carve new routes of growth, not the same, same old ruts lead you nowhere, we're going to transition to the second half of the psalm. And this part is going gonna, it's gonna to transform the way you think, because I, I pray, pray so. It did for me. 
What's the connective word in verse 4? Even though. Now, what do you know about that? Does that mean that verse can stand alone? It has to connect. So what do you do if you read and, but, or therefore? You say to yourself, what's it there for? <laughs> right? And, but, therefore, even though. When you look at any context, uh, scripture in context, you're going to see verse 4 connects to verse 3, which connects to verse 1. Now, Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. He leads me, restores me, he guides me. Why? Kaboom. For his name's sake. Even though he is thinking, trying to picture, he's trying to paint the picture of the worst possible scenario. Even though I walk through that, night, watch this real carefully. It's going to bob and weave on you. Even though I walk through the valley, keyword, of the shadow, another keyword, of death. Three words you need to know. Actually, four. Walk, valley, shadow, and death. This is really cool. Literally, remember, where are the sheep going? They're going, yep, yeah, they're going up, aren't they? They're going up the mountain. They're going up to pristine waters. They're going up to green grass and the table lamb that who planted for them? The shepherd. He already made that season. He already made that route. He's already been there. He does it all the time. He knows the way to go. They don't. Even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, everybody, this is why this is read at every funeral in America. <laughs> because they focus on one word. What word is it? Death. death. And it's like, read it in context with the Lord is my shepherd. Read it in context with juxtaposing one through three with four through six. Even though I walk through the valley of the what? Shadow of death. Hmm, that's an interesting word to use. Everybody just leaves it with death. Everybody I know says it's, even though I walk through death, it's like, whoop, back up. Back out of your rut, man. You're not thinking it. Valley of the shadow. What's a shadow? Is it real? Oh, how interesting. Why is it called the valley of death? Do you know? As you think, interpretively, we'll take you on a little interpretive route. Why is it called the valley of death? What do you think, Miss Jane Battle? Exactly. Again, the devil's not your friend. Sorry. He's real and he hates you. Let's go home. Right. She got it. Predators. What kind of predators are we talking about? For the sheep. Again, let's think shepherd sheep. Put ourselves out of it for a minute. Let's not, we won't spiritualize this language. Let's go physically. Let's read the text for what it says. Cougars. Lions. What else? Or in, now think Middle East. Cougars. Lions. Snakes. Poisonous grasses. Shrubs. And having been there and seen it, what else? What happens when the river gets too swollen? Ravaging floods. Well, that who is that like a problem? Yeah, it, all of those things will kill you. <laughs> all of those things will kill you. And what's the greatest danger of little sheep who don't know what the heck's going on? You know, just following whatever the heck's going on. What's the greatest danger for them as they climb to a higher height? Falling down a mountain. I don't know how many times he tells a story of where his staff went, shaboom, and caught some falling off in the mountain into the sea. That's what would get me. I'd be cool about not eating all the... I, stupid people eat that. 
oh, and I'd be a little bit nervous about the cougar, but I would be the bonehead that would be clinging to the side because I have a fear of heights. I mean, it's like, and then I take a misstep and fall, and all, all will be done until he yanked me out with a hook, you know, a staff. They are, they're like 45 million dangers. Let's not even count the fact that there could be friction within the sheep, within the, um, the flock. Let's not even count the fact that some of them could go cast, right? And then he's got to stop everything and walk all the way back and get sister back up and rubber legs, rubber legs, rubber legs, rubber legs, and hope she doesn't have that baby right there, <laughs> right? Now, have we heard any of his needs mentioned? What's he having for lunch? When's Shepherd going to get a cup of coffee? I'd like coffee if I was a shepherd. Uh, what about companionship? Does he have any? No. Typically, shepherds always traveled alone. It's me and 40 female sheep. Yes, what a good point. And that's going to come up. You're reading my mind, sweetie, because that's coming up with the rod and the staff. He's got nothing but nature, the Lord, and the sheep. <laughs> and I, I don't know what to do with that. But so he's got to be able to think clearly, be ready. When does a predator attack you? Is it when you're ready? Man, I got my mace. I got my taekwondo. I got it going. No, it's when you're pat- everything, all your arms are full and you're like, Macy's had a sale of 40% off. I can't believe it. And somebody goes, okay, you step inside your vehicle, please. And you're like, oh, no. It's always a surprise attack. A cougar can wait up to 10 to 12 hours for one pounce if he knows he's going to get it. He's patient, right? The valley of death, you met predators. We said uh, ravaging floods, the danger of falling off. That's like my all-time favorite because that would be me. They need the shepherd. Now, this is the thing I want you to just hold in your heart if you can. He knows the way. He's walked this route a jillion, billion times. They have not. He has walked this. He went up preseason, planted some He cleared the field, planted some grass, walked back down, irrigated the grass. Got to go back up again one more time. I'll be right back. <laughs> so how many times has he been up there? Numerous times. When I think about this for me, I think about the crucifixion. He understands all my sin struggles. He understands all my temptations. He understands all my pain. He gets it because he's been there. Memorize in your heart. If you want to write it down, I'd love for you to. If you drive away, I want you to think. He knows the way. He's walked it many times. I have not. He's lived through every possible emotion, feeling, and temptation you could even think of. But, Lord, you don't understand. I'm the only one without a baby. But, Lord, you don't understand. I'm the only one without a husband. But you don't understand. I'm the only one that doesn't have a, a daddy who's Christian. But you don't understand. I'm the only one that doesn't have any money here. You don't understand. I'm the only one that doesn't have pretty clothes. You don't understand. He knows the way. He's walked it many times. They have not. Look on your little extra, extra. Okay, what's with the music? I don't know why I always think that. The ultimate goal for the shepherd of the sheep. Three things. You ready? Better food, which he planted, better food, better water, and that the sheep have learned quiet acceptance of his leadership. Who are the easiest people to lead? Christ-like followers. 
People who have an authority problem are fighting God, not you. He wants sheep who follow willingly because they trust that he is what kind of shepherd? Good. This guy gives me green grass, man. I have pristine water to drink from, and he's nice. And if I fall over and get fearful, and I'm freaking out, freaking out, freaking out, he just gives me a rub down. This guy's a great shepherd. I'm telling everybody about him. John 16, 33, one of my very favorite verses. There are times when I get a phone call about somebody having cancer, a marriage breaking up, other horrible things, and the Lord says the same thing to me every single time. In this world, there will be many, what? Tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, even though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death. But, Lord, it looks so dangerous. Even though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death. John 16, 33 was that verse. In this world there are many tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I am his. He is mine. So in him I overcome the world too. This is Now this is awesome. Get ready for this. This just smacked me in the chops. Even though I walk through the valley of death, notice this. What does it say? They don't die. What do they do? They walk through. I love that. I always thought about death when I viewed it before. I was like, wait a minute. They keep on walking. It doesn't stop them. Oh, well, they're all done. Put them in a box. You know, it's no, they walk through. They walk through the shadow of the valley of death. The four key words, walk, valley, shadow, death. Also, my sweet, godly mother-in-law, I was telling her about this when we were just Excited about this, this thought that, wow, you, they don't die. They, they keep on walking. We read that. When we always get, and at a funeral, we go, yeah, he was a great guy. That's not what it says at all. It says, even though I walk through the valley of I love it. I walk through And my mother-in-law said, but they don't run. Isn't that a good point? They don't run. If God has you in a place of trial or tribulation or you're drinking from the cup of suffering right now, it's not a running issue. It's not a, it's not a sprint. It's going to be a marathon. It could be a 32-mile walk up a mountain like these sheep are doing. You might be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but you will walk through. Again, as you walk in your route of righteousness and follow the goodness of the shepherd. What's your next part of your verse? I fear no evil, for you are with me. That's kind of a big thing to say, don't you think? Like, I read that and I go, David, you're so much braver than me. And not only that, (laughs) I fear no evil, literally. The devil, I fear no evil, for you are with me. I will revere nothing nothing that is unclean. It's not stopping me because you are with me. He knows, 1 Samuel 22, 5, that he is running for his life. He's running for his life, and yet he's comparing all of this flight, all of this panic, all of these issues to when he would take the sheep on a sheep drive up the mountain. Because he believes God is good, because he believes he's a shepherd and provides his physical needs, because he believes he walks and survives a valley of the shadow of death, he fears no evil, for you are with me. And I love this. If we look at it, how are we going to look at it in context? Look at my notes. See the two arrows? 
I fear no evil, for you are with me. Why? Because they believe what's been talked about before, all of verses 1 through 4. If I believe that, I fear no evil, and I also believe in the goodness of the next verse. What's it say? The goodness of the rod and the goodness of the staff. Because he says, it comforts me. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see the word rod, I don't think about comfort. Do y'all? Soft pillow? Pedicure? You know? No, I think of rod and I get, think about getting hit in the head with it or something. It sounds painful. I always thought to myself, rod bad, staff good. <laughs> I've studied this verse before. Actually, the both of them, they're completely connected why the sheep have no fear. The rod is a symbol of what do you think? I'm going to let you guess. Discipline? What else? Leadership, you're on to something. What did Moses raise in the wilderness to prove that he was the leader? Authority. The rod is the symbol of authority. There are 40 sheep, one shepherd, one rod. Okay? He is God's designated leader. Rod is a symbol of authority. What is your modern-day rod? I love this. You have one. I have a really, really big rod. Oh, are you dying? Look how big my rod is. How big is your rod? Right? Your modern-day rod is the scriptures. This is living. It's active. Sister Amanda was saying, I'm sure Sister Amanda, like we're in some kind of, you know. Well, you are my sister, I guess. Anyway, you think about this, and it's like, if I really, really, really believe this thing is true, then the word is living it's active, it's sharp. Anything thrown against the wall of this thing, like you said in 2 Corinthians, it's going to fall flat. This thing divides kingdoms, it divides peoples, it divides powers. It is your sword. This is your authority. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, which, what do I mean by that? Is this a, have you been baptized? Have you been confirmed? Are you sweet? Good. Are you a Christian because you say you're a Christian? No. Are you a Christian because you're an American? No. No. Are you a Christian because you haven't committed any sins like the bad ones in the top ten in the Old Testament? No. You're a Christian because at one time in your life you realized that God loved me, that I committed sins. Anybody here commit sins? Just put your hands up to everybody in the world. Okay. Do you still commit sins? Yes. She, bah, right? Yeah. Yeah. You were born a sinner because of the, uh, the fall of Adam, the Adamic fall. You were born a sinner. God has always loved you, and he still loves you. He died for those sins through Adam, and he dies for your sins you committed 25 minutes ago and the sins you're going to commit 48 hours from now. Jesus died for all of your sins, and all you have to do is to receive it as a free gift. Val knows this, but when does this Bible become yours? When she takes it. When she takes it. And the great gentleman himself, Jesus Christ, does not force himself upon anyone. But he knocks until you open the door and receive him. And realize nothing you can do will get you to heaven. Nothing. Your righteousness is filthy rags. Trash, it stinks, it's stagnant water. It's a great, yay, thanks for building the hospital. Thanks for giving the money to the poor, you rock. That's not going to change a soul that's completely dead. A dead soul needs a living Savior who paid for it. And the only person who could pay for you was Jesus Christ. So if you're sitting there thinking this morning, man, this is fun. This is cool about the Psalm 23 stuff. 
but I don't even know if I'm one of his sheep. Or if you said, I'm only about 50% sure I'd go to heaven. Or if you said, I think I'd go to heaven because I've been baptized. I want you to rethink that. If you're wondering tonight on your drive home, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't know if I've done what that lady said, Tristy. Then I want you to think about, do I, Lord, is there a point in my life where I've received you as Savior? You and only you recognizing I cannot get myself there. It's only you. Then you're a sheep. And you're a sheep who has a good shepherd. Fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod is a symbol of authority. The staff can be seen as a symbol of kindness and long-suffering. Kindness and long-suffering. And I love this, I love this, I love this. I have to tell you this. My favorite pick, Keller has this. I think it's on page 101, whoever has the book. But what, is the, what does it look like, this thing he's got in his hand? Do you know? Can anybody just describe for me the rod and the staff? Anybody got an idea what it looks like? Yeah, crook, hook, you know, whatever. <laughs> I was like, is it this? Then I'm good. <laughs> I don't know. But my favorite thing is this. If this is a symbol of authority, because the sheep know who carry it, and this, then this is a symbol of long-suffering and, uh, and kindness, that literally this is the most beautiful picture. Philip Keller talks about this on the sheep drives up the mountain. If he could see somebody ahead of him, they would apparently, that the, um, literally let's say that she starts getting a little bit close to the edge, or she doesn't see this poisonous plant right here in front of you, if I'm her shepherd, I might walk up and just gently lay that staff alongside her. They never beat the sheep with the staff. Never. A good shepherd wouldn't, that is. He would just simply lay it alongside. Here you go, sister. Back on place. You're welcome, baby. My favorite thing is when he says, a beautiful picture to him was, again, who's out there? The sheep, the shepherd, the trees, (laughs) all right? Not a lot. As he's walking, sometimes uh, the shepherd would place the edge of the staff against his favorite sheep, almost like a a form of uh, fellowship, of communion. And they would just be walking together. Isn't that cute? I love that. I like animals. But I thought that was so precious. And he said sometimes he would just watch, and they would walk two miles straight up, up a mountainside. And he'd just have that little staff. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. We're going together. We're just, just touching it. Never used to beat, but always used to comfort and encourage. So your rod is a symbol of authority. Your staff is a symbol of loving kindness. Next part, you prepare a table. Now, this is where things are going to start sinking in. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Remember the table land we talked about earlier? Doesn't it bring it back to you? The shepherd goes on ahead. He clears the land, he plants the grass, he irrigates it, he gets it ready. He dams up the water so his little babies have good, clean, pristine water to go. They're on, they're on a journey, they're going to the top, and when they get there, they have something to eat, something to drink, and hopefully they've learned to follow. And that's when they chow down and they rest that summer season. Does that sound similar <laughs> to anything you know about the New Testament? Has someone gone to prepare a place for you? The Great Shepherd. Keller uh, talks about how little things like he will bring salt for himself. He will bring food for himself. This is a process. It takes a long time to get up the mountain. You've got to feed him. You've got to water him. And they're going to rest. And he's got to have food for himself to eat and a place for himself to sleep. And he's still with them. But he goes ahead and prepares a table. Now look at it again. You prepare a table, or literally a feast, 
before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, we can look at the word enemies in like 45 different ways. For the sheep, he's got some common enemies. We mentioned them. The other sheep, (laughs) they're fighting. Flies, parasites, um, deadly weeds, bushes, predators. He has a lot of enemies, doesn't he? The sheep does. I mean, they're numerous. How many enemies does David have? A lot. A lot. How many enemies do you have? Maybe you have some, maybe you don't. You have at least one. That's right. You have one big one. That's right. And his little assistants. His minions, as my son would say. Big into this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Someday in the glory day, when I sit down at the breakfast table of the king, at the last chair by the door, and they bring, he brings me my food, I'm going to see before me he defeated fear. He defeated selfishness. He defeated religiosity. He defeated pride. He defeated selfishness. Think of all these things that are enemies to your soul. He defeated them. And you're going to sit in heaven, having your big fat brunch, your feast, being sin-free, because sin cannot enter the presence of the Lord. Imagine that, being in heaven, having a big table, a big banquet, and he defeated every one of those sin issues you struggle with. Anybody read, uh, you know, Heinz on High Places, second book, Mountains of Spices? I love how the sins are personified. Pride, bitterness, resentment, that they're personified. And they must be slain or they must be defeated. He goes to prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. It was so fun last week. I watched these little dancers. Literally, Suzanne taught them to do. I used to be a dancer, so I, if you see me go like this, it's like instinct. Hello. <laughs> But uh, they learned how to personify the word with their bodies. She was trying to teach them to worship the Lord with their bodies. It's a beautiful idea, and it's very (laughs) anti-world. The world's not going to do a dance routine to Psalm 23, probably, you know. And so some of these little girls were, at first they're kind of like, huh, how do you do this? Well, they would do it, and it was gorgeous, and we would walk through it with them. And on this part, you uh, cover my head with oil. They would cover their heads like this. You know, and on, you know, when I lay down, and they had a physical move for every piece of this, and it was glorious, this beautiful music. When you look at, you have anointed my head with oil. Again, back to a little bit of literalism. There are two fold, there, this is actually, I really was not trying to be funny. There's a two-fold interpretation. <laughs> One, from the sheep's perspective, let's assume their life is not in danger. What annoys a sheep? A sheep. Flies. Bugs, insects, right? This kind of stuff. Do you know what they used to make to put on their nose as a liniment? Linseed oil, olive oil, and sulfur. And they would rub it on their nose. That sulfur will kill anything, girl. <laughs> right? They put it on their nose. But guess who has instant relief? Baba, doesn't he? After the shepherd rubbed that on his nose, perhaps on his wherever, the, they might be bothering him. Mainly the nose, though. They, he could breathe, the flies, the insects, the parasites go away. He is good to go and run along his route of righteousness, right? Again, it's, there's a literalness to this. You have anointed my head with oil. That's from a sheep's perspective. From David's perspective, what is he thinking about as he's thinking this? You have anointed my head with oil. I remember when I was eight years old, and I was out in the field tending sheep. My brothers told me to stay there because they said I was too little to do any good. And they went in to meet with the great prophet, who walked all the way, Samuel to my daddy, Jesse. 
And then they called me in. Come on over here, little boy. Come here. How scared I was. And I walked up to Samuel, and he took the horn of worship, and he poured it over my head. And the oil fell, trickled on down me, my, my head. And they said, this is the future king of Israel. And they all said, long live the king, King David. He's got to be thinking that. David's kingship is part of this interpretation. What else? How do you personally take this? How do you make make this Old Testament book a timeless principle in your own life? How has your head been anointed with oil? Christ using you. That's a great one. I hadn't thought of that one. Think Ephesians 1, 1 Peter 1, the book of Revelation. You are the bride of Christ. He has anointed your head with oil. Oil is also symbolic of favor. You have favor. You are his beloved. You are his bride. You are the, again, back to the very beginning, the object of his affection. Three, in three ways to look at that. Isn't that cool? You have anointed my head with oil. We got the sheep. <laughs> he and a sulfur. David's head being anointed as a future king of Israel, which he doesn't know when is going to go down because right now he's running for his life. But he's chosen to believe the good shepherd's truth that it will happen. And then for you, imagine the favor of God in your life. You have anointed my head with oil. And that is past tense. My cup overflows. There are a variety of interpretations on this. And I worked through every doggone one of them. I'll tell you that much. I think instinctively we want to say the cup is suffering. It can be. There's four kind of cups I think it could be. It could be a cup of suffering, cup of contentment, cup of victory, or cup of blessing. Okay? James, like I thought there were two. I, I, I don't know why there's four. There's, I, let's focus on it as a twofold thing, shall we? I was going to turn you guys into table talk and ask you to discuss it, but I think for the sake of time we'll just fly through this a little bit. The cup is a metaphor, correct? For what? Your life. You as a vessel. You as something that holds things. (laughs) Right? You're at the container store. My cup overflows. Now, if you take it by way of, it's it's the cup of suffering when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he suffered and wanted the cup taken away from him and it was his life, then I I, I think that's a legitimate interpretation for you. As Brian and I were discussing it, we, we talked about it for a long time. Because I, initially I was like, it's all about suffering. And so I wrote for my, own, myself, for my own self. That's good English, right? My cup overflows because Jesus Christ died for all of my sins. In every, sin, in every life there is sin suffering because of the Adamic fall and hidden faults and presumptuous sins. Jesus called his agony in the garden a cup. Because he died for me, my cup overflows with forgiveness. That was my initial interpretation. Brian and I talked about it last night as a cup of blessing. Cup of blessing. Why? Let's go back. What's the context? You prepare your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I'm an honored guest. You busted their chops. You beat my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. Kingship favor. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. (gasps) I think it might be a cup of blessing. I think I might be a cup of blessing. I think I may have changed my mind. Isn't that fun when you get to say it from two different ways? I think my cup overflows is a cup of blessing because of the context of the psalm. Now, what's amazing is that I love the word overflows. It's not my cup is enough. My cup's half full. 
Are you half full or half empty? <laughs> My cup overflows, which is so beautiful. And it's connected with you've anointed my head with oil, the oil dripping down his face when he was anointed king. And the favor dripping all over me as a representative of the king. My cup overflows. Now, last verse, and we're going to do something fun with this. I did, I did this for myself, just kind of for fun. Surely, that's always a troubling word. Sounds a little overconfident to me, don't you? Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You have to ask yourself, obviously, the questions we've already discussed. What is the connection to the previous verse? If I'm enjoying a cup of suffering, how do I understand this verse? Miss Cup of Blessing, Tristy, that changed her mind. If I'm enjoying a cup of blessing, I think I can understand it. But not really. I'm only understanding it experientially. Happy days are here again. Cup of blessing. Life's good. My bills are paid. I got me a car. I got me a man. All right. My cup overflows, girl. Right? That's not the point. Regardless of the cu- if the cup is suffering or the cup of blessing, this is true. For fun, flip it. Look at verse 6. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Everybody say, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Doesn't that make a difference? The Lord is my shepherd. All these wonderful physical descriptions of him as a shepherd, but spiritual parallels for me in the New Testament. I know I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because I have believed in him. I have received him by faith. Surely, whew, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life because of where I'm going. Because of where I'm going. I may be battling uh, illness or um, in our family, financial trouble, hard marriage, difficulty with your children, or whatever your trial may be. You can say if you know Jesus Christ, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And goodness and loving kindness will follow you. It's all how you see it. Maybe it is a deal if your cup is half full or half empty. (laughs) Right? And as you stand here and you rethink your rut, ruts of unrighteousness, of lies, of pain, of the enemy trying to get you to think his way is true and rejecting it and following the route of righteousness. Remember, how does the enemy, we talked about two weeks ago, how does the enemy talk to you? Does he talk to you in third person, second person, or first person? First. God's not. God only is with people like Tristy. Those real cheerful types, you know, that he's not with you because you're going through something totally different. And so that's great that you think that for yourself, but this was written for somebody else and da-da-da-da-da. You reject every lie out loud with the word and in the name of Jesus because these things are for you like as much as they are for me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It's earthly. I can believe he promised to be a good shepherd and eternally I know where I'm going. You have your extra extra. If you would like to complete that or scratch the heck all over it, you may. My last question for you, this is your application, and I cannot believe we ended exactly on time. Never could have told me. I thought, man, this is a six-hour Bible study today. <laughs> six verses, six hours. Uh, this is your, your application. I'm going to assume we did a lot of observation together at the very beginning. I'm, I'm assuming you've been working on that, honing that skill of learning how to see the text as opposed to yourself in it, Right? We skipped a little bit through the interpretive pages because I'm assuming you've already looked at that. 
If you want to continue the challenge or finish your study, you sure, sure may. That's great. Fantastic. We took a different angle by using the Keller book and reinterpreting Psalm 23. Your application is two things. One, I want you to write a mission statement for Psalm 23. Okay? I want you to write a mission statement for Psalm 23. Thanks for the Bible study, Tris. That was cool. But how does this impact you? How will you let any of these truths, man, I mean, could you not write a mission statement for every one of them? For every one of these things that are true of the sheep, that are true of you? Write a mission statement on how you'll think differently, how you'll carve out a route route of righteousness based on Psalm 23. How will your summer look different if you believe it? And then the second thing I want you to do, this was really fun. You know, I thought this was from the Lord. I love these sweet things, the ideas he gives. Tonight, I always tell you tonight, and I know you have to put kids to bed because I do too. And so 10 minutes of silence or 10 minutes of thinking in English is so very challenging. But I'm confident God's going to give you 10 minutes today. I'm confident of that. My challenge to you is for, if you want to write this down, that'd be really, really groovy because I'd like to make it a habit. How many days does it take a habit typically? 21. Let's just pretend it's seven. Because next week we're going to do Psalm 51. So we only have seven days. Every day, I want you to do this. Are you ready? You've written your mission statement. This is how Psalm 23 is going to affect my summer. Now, I want you to read Psalm 23 out loud to yourself in your car, in the bathroom, which is, by the way, a very convenient spiritual location for hearing God and being convicted and such things. And I want you to read it like this. Watch how cool this is. You're going to freak. I love it. Remember, when you talk about the Bible with people who've never read the Bible, what do you tell them it is? It's God's what letter to you? Love letter. Ready? I'm going to read it for Val. She won't cry. The Lord is Valerie's shepherd. Valerie shall not want. He makes Valerie lie down in green pastures. He leads Valerie beside quiet waters. He restores Valerie's soul. He guides Valerie in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though Valerie may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Valerie fears no evil. For you are with Valerie. Your rod and your staff, they comfort Valerie. You prepare a table before Valerie in the presence of Valerie's enemies. You have anointed Valerie's head with oil. Valerie's cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow Valerie all the days of her life. And Valerie will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Does that make a difference when you read it that way? Do you feel just a little bit presumptuous? I kind of feel like, oh, that blessing must be for me. I mean, like, almost like, you're, you're, step back a little bit, chica. Right? I kind of just feel like, I'm, am I taking the word a little too literally? Am I, am I allowed to have that? You know what? It's chocolate cheesecake. Have it. <laughs> I want you to eat it. I want you to eat five pieces. Actually, seven pieces. <laughs> Every day, this day through next week. You kind of got a lot to do, don't you? Read this for yourself in first person or whatever person. (laughs) Put your name in it because it's written to you. Write your mission statement. It can be three lines which said, I will believe. Fine, I don't care. But that you believe Psalm 23. You believe it. You speak this out loud. Next week, 930 to 1130, we're going to talk about Psalm 51. If I may say this very quickly before we close in prayer. To me, probably, if I have top five Psalms in the 150 that there are, it is, prob- it, is on my- it is on my top five list. It's pivotal. If you can obey God and understand Psalm 51, 
Not only will it comfort you, it will heal you, it will convict you, and it will renew you. I know a million Christians whose life stopped at Psalm 51, and never, they've never enjoyed, enjoyed this flourishing. Okay? Psalm 51 next week. However you would like to do it is fantastic. My only request is that you read the text two or three times and try to make your observations. Next, next week, Psalm 51. Everybody take a deep breath. Let's close our eyes, shall we? Bow our heads. I needed that deep breath. Father, I give you thanks and praise that your word is true. Even now we proclaim it publicly, that Jesus Christ is Lord. At the mention of his name, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, I thank you in your kindness you gave us a sword We have the rod of authority, and we don't think we're big and bad, and we have authority because of ourselves, but we know it's because of you and our identification, our union with you. If there's any friend here who wonders, gosh, if I died in a car accident on the way home, would I step into the presence of the Lord? Or am I basing all my faith on my own goodness, confirmation, baptism, um, good traits that I think I'm not that bad of a sinner? Reveal to them the need for a Savior that they have. Father, I pray for your word, that your word would literally braid itself into our hearts, that you would root out the weeds of bitterness, resentment, anger, disbelief, any of those things, Father, any hidden fault, much less presumptuous sin, but any hidden fault that you would just rip that weed out, remove that awful thing in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, the spirit of comfort. I pray that you would help us to understand not only Psalm 23, but Psalm 51 as we prepare not only just to go into battle, but how to uh, see ourselves come back when we have fallen, because we do sometimes. I thank you, Father, that you compare us to sheep. That's hilarious, Father. We are sheep. And it's hilarious because it shows your beauty and your glory and how much I need you and that I am frantic and I kick frantically in the air, and I walk along the same doggone ruts of sin, and I make bad choices, yet you forgive me, and you love me, and you renew me, and you give me my legs rubbed down when I need to be told truth. For your name's sake, you feed me, and you provide clean water for me. Why, I don't know, but you have anointed all of our heads with oil in the provision of Jesus Christ, and your favor rests upon us. When we're not feeling that important, we're special, or we're in that stupid comparison mode, living in that rut of sin, may the women in this room pull back and follow a route of righteousness, understanding the favor of God that has been placed upon our heads. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Thanks, ladies. See you next week.